Hello and welcome to the Local to Global podcast. I'm Nick Hewer, spent something like 40 years in business before moving to become one of Lord Sugar's advisors on The Apprentice. Now, in this series, we're looking at why exporting is great for business. Whether you're starting a, a brand new company or looking to expand, selling overseas can make a huge impact in terms of increasing sales, growth and stability. But for many, the idea of selling abroad can be very daunting. In this podcast series, I'll be talking to some of the UK's standout business founders and exporters to hear about their stories, to ruminate on the successes, failures, tips and strategies for trading internationally. In the studio today, I'm joined by Sure Chill, a company that is disrupting the refrigeration market. Their first product, a fridge for storing vaccines, can stay cool for nearly two weeks without power. Its main aim is to protect life-saving, temperature-sensitive vaccines in developing countries. And with thousands of devices across 49 countries, it's estimated that their refrigerators have helped provide over 20 million safe vaccinations over the last six years alone. Nigel Saunders is their CEO, and he's with me now. Welcome, Nigel. Now, I've read that the idea for SureChill's cooling technology came from a simple walk with a pal. Tell me about it and why it's so different to a traditional refrigeration system. Thanks, Nick. You're absolutely right. Ian Tanzi actually invented the short your technology and is still involved in the business. And interestingly, we weren't in the refrigeration business, and this is how we spotted an opportunity really to disrupt a market that hasn't really developed over the last 100 years. People have been kind of looking at latest compressors or marginal gains, but there was a fundamental problem that we saw firsthand with the work that we were doing in Africa. And that fundamental problem is refrigerators today don't cope with a power loss. The same happens in our home. I'm sure it's the same in your home, Nick. As soon as that power goes out, your fridge goes off. And when you start to think about cooling being a fundamental foundation of modern society, it keeps our vaccines cold, it keeps our food cold, even keeps our data cold. Keeping the cold going is key for this world to keep on working and functioning. It's interesting, isn't it? As... The world changes in terms of climate change, of course. The United Kingdom, with its high winds, its storms, its floods, suddenly, perhaps for the first time, we're worried about the deep freeze being switched off. But looking at the world, generally speaking, looking at Africa, looking at perhaps some of the less developed countries in Asia and Latin America, you have got the world at your feet, haven't you, with this? It's a brilliant... I love it. I love it. Thank you. 49 countries already. So exporting has got to be your central mission. Did the company dive straight in to selling internationally? It did, actually. We're a renewable energy business operating UK and Africa, and, and what we saw was the opportunity in Africa and working with the likes of the UNICEF, Médecins Frontières, and, and a number of other organisations that we knew we could help them keep those vaccines cold. So that was our starting point. For the company, the real mindset in, in the next kind of four years is really helping people across the world in developing economies where there's lots of power cuts or they're in totally off-grid positions and they can use our technology teamed with solar. 
But we also see that this isn't just a, a solution that's for developing economies. It's also fit for developed here in the UK as well. So what our technology can do is help people time shift energy usage, which could be aimed at reducing the peak demand on the national grid or simply time shifting to reduce your energy bills for homes and businesses. Now, I can see that. I can see that. But in a sense, you know, that's a sort of the sophisticated end of your future business, really. Yes. What you've got, and must have been terrifying, <laughs> is that you had the world. It was, you know, open for you. How did you suddenly approach that? Licensing, I think, that's when that kicked in. It was the only way that you could exploit your great product without fear of perhaps somebody else coming in and stealing a march on you. Absolutely right. So we, when we began the business, we actually manufactured here in Wales. What we quickly realised was there was a, a real race to market. And the, the quickest way of doing that, rather than us going to raise 50 million, was actually to license and to work with very large organizations. So today we license the technology to Godrej Appliances in, in India. They turn over 4.3 billion and also Zero Appliances in South Africa. And both these are very important to us. They help accelerate us in terms of manufacture and scale, but also route to market with their established distribution networks. But your IP is secure. It's yours. Yeah, absolutely. And then you license it out and they make and market. Correct. It, really what Shortchill is, is Shortchill is the Intel inside. So we're providing that ability that enables their refrigerators to stay perfectly cold when the power goes out. Sure. Tell me this. The IP is tied up. I guess you're constantly on the watch to make sure that you're protecting this absolute gem of a technology. But you work with major organisations, UNICEF, ministries of health around the world. How is that different to working with the sort of normal commercial organisations? Yeah, it's very different. I guess the market we've started in in keeping the vaccines cold is it's led on the kind of impact side. Yes, commercials are very important, but they're also very interested in the impact we're making. And you mentioned earlier about the 20 million vaccines that we've enabled to stay perfectly cold in, in some of the world's most challenging areas. Naturally, when you're dealing with NGOs, there is a different model. It can take slightly longer in, in terms of the, the sales cycles compared to a, a more commercial operation where actually it's dependent on generating revenue for a company. They make a decision quicker. And of course, when you're dealing with vaccines, a, a technology has to work because a life matters. If this technology doesn't work, then lives are at risk. And that, of course, leads to adoption rates being slightly slower than we would like. But we're very happy and very excited and very proud of the difference we've made in the 49 countries that we've sold into so far. Let's roll back a little bit. You had your walk, you came up with this uh, technology, you tested it at home, and now suddenly you think, now what are we going to do? How long did it take you to decide on the licensing route rather than going on your own and actually shipping product overseas, having sales forces around the world? You couldn't afford it, could you? This was the only option for you. Yeah, it wasn't the only option. There were other options that, that we could have adopted, but we decided licensing was the right route. We launched our first product 2011, and we started to sign our first license deal 2013. So it was two years later was when we first started putting this model in place. And, and this is where we'll continue 
continue to use this model for other markets. So it's not just about keeping vaccines cold. We can provide cooling with intermittent power supplies for domestic refrigeration, for beverage market. Airlines are now contacting us as well. When you start to think how the world operates and relies on accurate cooling, the whole issue with guaranteeing a, a reliable power source is, is challenging for most people around the world. I mean, I'm not technically minded, but it strikes me that the world was actually going to beat a, a path to your door, frankly. You have the greatest mousetrap in the world. Yeah, is that fair? What would you say to uh, a company that's just starting up whose new product is absolutely perfect for the developing world? What's the first thing they've got to do if they choose to go the licensing route? What do they do? They go on their bike and get out there? Before getting on the bike, I think it's really do their due diligence at home, looking at who's the right partner, because that first decision is absolutely crucial. You need a partner that isn't just going to swallow you up or waste your market opportunity. And we've found two fantastic partners that have helped develop this market for us, grow the short oil business as well, and given us a platform that we can now go in, speak with the major drinks brands and say, look at what we've done. This isn't an idea. This is a proven technology. And we can help you serve your cold drinks or keep your food cold. It just continues. So that starting point is is absolutely crucial. Yeah, you've had, and good for you, a $1.5 million grant from uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That's not a bad endorsement, is it? Crucial. Absolutely key for us to have... Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation working with us and and give us that stamp of approval really did open the doors and helped with the licensing discussions as well. I wouldn't ignore that. So very key for us. And has helped us in a number of ways, actually. Endorsement, the capital they provided to us as well has made a big difference to this company. Yeah, but it's that endorsement throughout Africa where they're so active on the malaria scourge, as it were. Even that must have really... uh, boosted your credibility, frankly. I would also mention, Nick, it's not the only foundation that we work with as well. So the Shell Foundation have also awarded us a grant, and this is where they try to back the world's leading entrepreneurs to solve a particular problem. They're working very closely with us to look at the domestic refrigeration and how we can help solve this particular problem. And also UNICEF came in, didn't they, and bought 500 fridges value of over $1 million and some other humanitarian agencies too. So all of this feeds into the fact that you're good people, responsible people with a great product to offer. Absolutely right. What's fantastic about Shore Jill, and I'm really proud about it, and, and we've got a fantastic team in Wales developing the IP. We have a technology that works brilliantly. It's saving lives, improving lives around the world, but also isn't damaging the planet. That's really important. So we have no harmful chemicals within our devices. We aren't using conventional batteries that have to be mined in Africa, et cetera, and have issues with disposal at the end. We don't have a battery in our system. If we think about UNICEF and the Gates Foundation, they all feed into the sort of credibility for Churchill, as did your tour around Africa when uh, you went with uh, Theresa May on that sort of uh, fact-finding, in fact, business drumming up tour. Yeah, it was precisely that. So in in August this year, we 
I was invited and it was all kept very quiet and only found out a couple of days actually what the trip was. And so I, I joined Theresa May on her tour, official tour of Africa. So in, in three days, we visited South Africa, Nigeria, and then into Kenya as well. Yeah. And what a privilege that was. And that has, again, added credibility to our story, opened a number of doors in, in those key markets, which we already operate, but actually has, has elevated our position again. Do you reckon Africa is where the immediate future lies for you? I think it's wider. Africa is a core territory that we target. And when you look at the 49 countries that we've sold into today, most of those are in, in Africa. But it's wider than that. It's not just Africa who have lots of power cuts and off-grid populations. You're into India, South America, and other parts of Asia as well. And the Middle East. I think Dubai is uh, expressing some sort of interest. Yeah, we just over two years ago, actually, we were flown out by the Dubai government. Dubai wanted to invite 20 of the world's leading technologies that they thought were going to change the world in the next 20 years. What Dubai saw with Shorjil was this ability to time shift energy, and that's the bit that excited them, being able to help electricity grids rather than build for peak demand if you can start smoothing out demand by switching devices off, but also that have energy storage. So if there's a surplus in the grid or if the sun is shining, mm. you can capture that energy and store it, and that's where Shorjil is also perfectly It's suited. interesting, isn't it? So here you are today exporting to 49 countries, You've got great interest from serious people, the Gates Foundation, UNICEF and all that. But let's go back to when you suddenly thought about this idea and you suddenly realised, do you know something? We've got a tiger by the tail here. How are we going to control this? How frightening is this? Are we going to make a mess of it? Which markets are we going to go for? Oh, we haven't got enough money. We haven't got the management. How do we do Come on. Put us in your shoes in those days. How terrified were you? <laughs> yeah, and, and actually we still, it is still terrifying but extremely exciting as well. We have this global opportunity, as you say. We've got the world's leading brands knocking on our door, coming to Cardiff to see the work that we are doing. We have to now scale and seize that opportunity, and that's precisely what we're doing, is looking to bring in additional funding now, external capital that will actually propel this business. Often people have kind of compared, and we don't use it internally, but people often say to me, are you going to be the next Dyson? And we would absolutely love to be. But what's different about us is we are the Intel inside, so it is a licensing model with a technology inside. So what advice have you got to give to somebody Who's got a different tiger by the tail? <laughs> what would you say? Courage? Prepare? Courage, determination are absolutely key. And, but you also, you've really, you can have an idea and, and you can kind of sometimes get caught in believing your own hype. You've got to have the data that backs it up. You've got to be very diligent in terms of how you've prepared to go to market. I've seen, and, and we've made the mistake ourselves, that sometimes we think, gosh, that technology would be perfect in that market. Let's chase over there. But it's we weren't ready for it. I love that because the one thing that you appear to be doing is focusing on what you're good at and you're not going to go chasing off wildly in all different directions. You're focused until you've got this market absolutely in your back pocket, right? Precisely. Then you'll start wondering where else you can use it because the world's a big place for this product. 
It is, and, and it continues to get bigger. The various meetings I have with investors now, I guarantee every investor I meet, they come up with another one, another potential for sure, Jill, and they get very excited about that. And, and you're right, but focus is key in the short term. Absolutely. And even in the long term, it, we have to be very focused yeah. and, and take this in, in the right approach. So as soon as you've got your sort of first prototype, first model, I assume that you went to one of the big shows somewhere in Europe to show it off, one of the big technology shows, in order to attract people to come and buy your license. Is that the route you took? You'd think that, Nick, and, and that's somewhat the logical approach, but we didn't. What was clear in our mind, we had a very valuable technology, and it was all centered on IP. We did not want to show the entire world and let every organization open our fridges and look inside and understand the technology. So we took a different approach. We looked very closely at which were the partners we wanted to work with and then contacted them, had the initial meetings. And during those initial meetings, we didn't talk specifics about the technology until we were comfortable with the other people sat opposite us. And that's precisely what we found with the licensees that we've got. There's a danger that you go too early and tell the world and literally someone will just come and try and rip you off. I mean, what you've just told us, really, is an example of great confidence tinged with a little bit of arrogance, if you don't mind (laughs) me saying so. But, you know, full marks to you, because you're going to protect this baby of yours and not let the big bad wolf in through the door. So that was good. But in other businesses, I guess, you would agree the logical way is to go to the shows and show it off yeah, I think if you've got a mobile phone device or something there which no one can open and kind of see how it's operating, then that's a different different proposition. So for us, it was about the cooling system that we've invented. We didn't want to show the world until no. we're ready. But I can see for other particular markets, it oh, makes perfect sense. I remember years ago when I worked with uh, Alan Sugar, we launched the first triple-band mobile phone, which was UK, Europe and the States, of course. Absolutely amazing. Mm. And we launched it at the big technology show in Hanover and got it onto the front page of the, the show newspaper. Are you with me? There was a queue around the block. <laughs> and eventually he sold it to uh, Siemens, I think, for a lot of money. Having bought the company, I think, for $6.4 million, he sold it for ninety eight, which wasn't a bad deal. But it was that getting it on the front page of the show catalogue, as it were. Yeah? That was key. And, and, yeah, amazing. But... You were different. You didn't want to lift your skirts too much to let see people see what you were up to. Not yet. Mm. The timing will come, but we're not there yet. Tell us about the sort of cultural differences, the, the sort of hurdles you've got to uh, jump, maybe in the Middle East, maybe in Africa. Anxiety moments when you suddenly realise perhaps you've got it wrong culturally. We've learned <laughs> along the way, no doubt about that, and we've made mistakes. The thing that we've had to look very closely before we go into any country now that that we are clear, we brief every team member on all the do's and don'ts culturally. And that is really key. It's been a challenge for us at times. We've got a number of distributors dotted around the world working on our behalf. And how you manage them, actually, it's not one rule fits all. We have to manage them in, in line with what their expectations are locally and we know that certain people will push it in certain ways and, mm. and we're just going to be mindful of that and we become in some ways experts in that but we're always learning and if you think you've learned it all already then you're going to get something wrong. So we continually have a mindset of continue to learn. To what extent does uh, being a British company with British technology count in the world these days? 
I would never underestimate the value of that. For us, it's been hugely valuable. In Africa, in India, I've seen it in particular, but even the Gulf region as well, that they really value the, the British, the standard of quality and the expertise that we have has opened doors and enabled us to do the business we have. And for us, one of the, the areas that we've had a, a lot of success from is being part of the government's initiative, the Great Campaign. And, and we always talk about being a UK company. It's always pushing that angle and, and why Churchill and, and why the UK is brilliant. Yeah. And travelling throughout Africa with uh, Theresa May and, uh, you know, the British government, that helps too, gives you added credibility. Huge credibility, huge credibility in those markets, but also elevated us in terms of our position with current partners and people we're in discussions with. It just changed the landscape for us to be associated with Theresa May on, on an official tour for four days. What about awards? You've had a few, I understand. Do they count? Absolutely. Very key. Very key in, in our story. Typically, we're very careful in which awards we go for. We don't waste time because you can become a company just obsessed with winning awards. Mm. We don't. And we don't have a kind of quota that we want to win a certain number every year. If we think there's value and it will help elevate us, then we'll go for it. But if it isn't, that is a distraction and it comes back to the focus piece. If it's a distraction, don't go for it because it's the application, it's the award night, etc. And, it, and it'll just keep rolling. You can also get a bit carried away with things, can't you? Can. you? Yeah. And start believing your own publicity. Dangerous. Feet on the ground all time. Focus all the time. Once upon a time, you had a tiger by the tail and you had the world at your feet. You're going to export and you got it absolutely right. What would you say to a young company that's got another tiger by the tail and they've got to get out there and export? One thing to do, perhaps one thing to avoid doing. One thing that we as a company have done and continue to do, actually, is whenever we embark on a new journey, we find an expert in there. And you don't always have to pay these people almost an advisor position, someone who you can just phone up and say, how does this work? Give me some of the learnings, your experience. And Nick, I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what you've done for Sal and Sugar, and that's what we do as well. We work very closely with advisors and understand the markets. Mentors. Mentors. Yeah, invaluable. Very. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you and goodbye. That's all for this episode of the local to global podcast. To start your own exporting journey, visit great.gov.uk. Until the next time, from me, Nick Hewer, goodbye. <laughs>